Welcome to Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. These candid, unfettered talks create connection and inspiration across the human story. These are the sharings of how we came to be ourselves, how we found our life's purpose, and how we made it from there to here. I speak with performers, artists, artisans, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, and other remarkable people about what they do and how they came to do it. Also, the music you hear on this show is performed, as always, by Brad Watson. On this 25th episode, wow, 25 episodes in we are, I share a joyful chat with the brilliant and amazing Shannon Hurley, singer-songwriter, artist, actress, and better half of the band Lovers and Poets. You've heard her music on such TV shows as American Idol, The Young and the Restless, The Lying Game, 90210, Juliana and Bill, and So You Think You Can Dance. We talk about her formative years in South Bend, Indiana, how the trombone changed the trajectory of her life, being a happy introvert, spending a year in London's West End, meeting her husband Ben Eisen in a Duran Duran tribute band, doing a stint as a lounge singer in Vietnam at the Ho Chi Minh City Park Hyatt, and the incredible way life seems to steer us in the right direction. This was a really fun talk. I hope you enjoy. Here's me and Shannon. And hello there, Shannon Hurley. I'm really happy to see you today. I'm happy to see you too, Dana. It's really good to see you. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think the last time we saw each other was you and Ben had a gig at that little place in the valley. And that the was- The other door. Yes. And that was the last time. That was the last time. Everything shut down that weekend. So this was pretty much the last, this was a Thursday, right? And it was, I think the Friday, um, March 13th was when we got the stay at home order for California. Yeah. yeah. It was like your gig was just under the water before everything. Just, yeah. I, was, I, <laughs> I had to contact the other door to make sure we were still playing. And like the promoter, I had to ask him if we're still playing. I was like, is this really still happening? Yeah. I Are couldn't believe sure? it. It was weird. Are you sure? And Are it was sure? because it was before it was before masks, it was before anything. And then everybody was kind of like 
I, I just remember the energy of the place that night was kind of, are we, are we doing this? Are we doing this? <laughs> are, we, are we hugging? Are we elbow touching or what are we doing? You know? Yeah. Was, I, I, I think we did the, a lot of us did the elbow touch. I think you and Brad did like the Vulcan salute. Oh yes. We did the live long. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 And, um, but it was a surreal time. So, so welcome. I'm, I'm so glad you, that you're here. But um, so usually, and as you know, cause you've heard an episode or two of this, um, usually uh, we talk about the, the origins. And I know that you are a Midwesterner. You are from South Bend, Indiana. South Bend, that's right. <laughs> and uh, tell me a little bit about your, your upbringing and your childhood and your parents. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So my childhood, I was, it was middle-class. Um, I had a really happy childhood, two parents, um, that loved me <laughs> and my brothers. I have two brothers. Um, I'm the oldest. I have Sean and Ryan who are just a little bit younger than me. So we all kind of grew up, um, kind of liking the same things, um, watching the same TV shows because we're not that far apart in age. So, um, uh, you know, late seventies, early eighties. That was my, like, picture this is my childhood, like lots of MTV watching, mm -hmm. uh, lots of sports. Uh, my brothers and I all played sports together. Um, we had all the kids in our neighborhood come and congregate to our front lawn because my dad was always kind of the wiffle ball manager <laughs> pitcher, you know, like, um, so yeah, we had a really fun childhood. It was full of music, full of sports. Um, my mom was a singer. Uh, she sang in a rock and roll cover band. Wow. Um, Cause, and also your aunt as well, right? My aunt also is, she's a fantastic singer, singer. And to this day, like I'm sure as soon as the panda pandemic restrictions are lifted, she'll want to go back to singing in a, in a club and she's, you know, in her seventies. So, wow. um, uh, but yeah, both of them grew up singing because my grandmother was a singer and an entertainer ever since she was a little girl. And that is because her parents, my great grandparents were also vaudeville entertainers. Wow. So it goes like, I don't know how far back this tradition of music and entertainment go. Um, but I know that my great grandmother she was like a, I think it was called like the, what is like the slide, the slide of life or slide for life where you hang by your teeth. This is what she did. I didn't even know this until like 15 years ago, but that's wow. what she did. She would hang by your teeth from a rope and she would spin. And that, that was what she did as a, a vaudeville performer. And my great grandfather, who I don't know at all, because he wasn't really in the picture, but uh -huh. he was a pianist. So that's, Did he that's, play piano at the time that she's spinning around? I know. <laughs> Were they a duo that just, and that's how they met. It was love at first sight. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's like something that you would see in the circus. That was like, yes. a, that came from those old vaudeville, vaudeville days. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and so where were they doing vaudeville? Was it here or was it back? It in was the like the Chicago area, I believe. Okay. Um, I, I would love to know more, actually. I'm sure there's a way for me to do research on that or maybe one of these days I'll find out like through ancestry.com or something. Yeah. Cause I don't really know too much. I just know, um, small details. So mm -hmm. I'd like to know more. <laughs> wow. That's, that's crazy. That's like, I wonder if one of them was born in a trunk. I know. <laughs> you know, I know. Like the old gypsy story. The, the oh, they were gypsies too. Yeah. Apparently like my great grandfather, um, he left my great grandmother. Like, I don't know what happened to him, but he, I never knew him. 
um, he was gone way before I ever was around. But uh, my great grandmother moved with her, all of her kids uh, probably like 20 times, you know, in their lives during the d depression. This was like, right. yeah, it was like tw 1927 when my grandmother was born. And I know that she had siblings that were older than that. So they were moving around constantly. And I think my grandma moved like 20 times. And so she had to drop out of school when she was like eight. <laughs> like so were crazy. they were they performing at that time during the depression or what what was what was happening? yeah um they were and then I think my grandma was not really the I don't know if she was the breadwinner of the family but she was entering um um Shirley Temple look-alike contest when she was like three and she was she won every single one of them <clears throat> so wow. she was like kind of that was kind of her profession when she was like a child truly <laughs> temple look like she was a professional moppet <laughs> yes professional moppet had the ringlets and everything yeah <laughs> wow that's crazy and so did they did somebody settle in south bend is that how your parents landed there or yeah so wait? my grandmother my great-grandmother somehow um landed in south bend don't really know exactly because I feel like the story keeps changing because by the time my grandmother married my grandfather I had the impression that he came directly from Poland um like he got off the boat and like went from Ellis Island to South Bend but I'm finding out that I think my grandfather was born in South Bend so there's a lot of sketchy details like I'm like I don't really know because <clears throat> I feel like families kind of invent their own story Mm -hmm. um and they don't maybe they don't do it um uh consciously right it could be something that like they were told or maybe they told themselves mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's a something and then it kind of becomes lore <laughs> it's lore. lore yeah yeah so not really sure how they ended up in south bend but, but they did know, but you know that your your great grandfather was from his family was from poland yeah my well my my grandfather um so yeah so who married my 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 mom's uh mother which is the the one the shirley temple look like <laughs> mm -hmm. and then you so you've got you got performers performance in your blood and then you also you when you were what you were like eight or something when you started piano you started training formally in music yeah but i wouldn't really call it formally i just kind of dabbled like we've you know found a really old piano <clears throat> i took lessons for about four months but i wasn't not i was not really into it um i was more interested in taking my piano lesson books and flipping them around and seeing what the notes would create and i was like this is a way more interesting song than whatever it is that they were they wanted me to learn so i was i, I was kind of bored by the songs they were teaching us it was like nursery rhymes and things like that so I was trying to create my own my own music, my own songs, um, and then also I was I would rather learn Little Red Corvette by Prince on the piano right. than like right. I, I I like pop music I I can't help that so that's so always you, been my jam. It's so interesting you like flashed <laughs> forward to composition as a kid. Yeah, I I was like writing stuff when I was little, but like not I mean stupid stuff like it was like. <laughs> But I would much rather have uh, composed my own things or have um, just covered something that was like that I saw on MTV or, or right. the radio. Right. Because when did, um, did when did MTV start? Was that eight? Was it 82? 81. 81. August of 81. 
Yeah. And it started with the Buzzles video killed the radio star. The Buggles, yeah. <laughs> yes, the Buggles. The Buggles. The Buggles, yeah. And I, and I remember, like, I did you have cable? We didn't have cable, but I had heard, I knew friends who had cable. So I would yep. hear about it. And then when they started doing Friday night videos. On, yes, the on Friday Apple night video Robert, fights. Yes, that was like, that's how the rest of us could see yes. videos. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, you're talking about not the Friday night video fight on MTV, but like the Friday night video. Right. Friday night videos on network television. Yes. yes. And I saw like all the great Duran Duran videos. They were, they were some of the first people to do like, like, like cinematic quality videos. Russell McKay. Yes. I think Russell McKay. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's for Rio and for uh, Save a Prayer and all that stuff. And it's just like, that's really vivid in, in, in my mind. I know for you that we're jumping ahead a little bit, but <laughs> you're, you're like, we're flashing forward a bit. We'll come back. But <laughs> I, but I know that you were in a tribute band, a Duran Duran tribute a Duran Duran band. Duran Duran tribute band. Yes. Planet Earth. This is Planet, Planet Earth. Earth. <laughs> I was Nick Rhodes. I didn't look anything like Nick Rhodes, but I, I was Nick Rhodes because I loved the synth parts. I was like, I can play these synth parts. This is you had to put a lot of eyeliner on for that. A lot of eyeliner, a lot of mascara, lots of lip gloss, shiny, shiny lip gloss. I would put all the makeup on for all the other band members. And that's how Ben, like that's one of his first memories of me because we were both in that band together. Right. Um, uh, I joined first and then he joined afterwards and I was like mm-hmm. I, I was I was like voted him as not being John Taylor I'm like he does Ben does not look like John Taylor so I don't think he should be in the band right <laughs> no I I was gonna say Ben as John Taylor is kind of a stretch it's a stretch you know <laughs> but great bass players though both yeah of them, so absolutely it worked, it worked out but both you, cute both cute <laughs> yes but uh, um, yeah, that that was so so so. Let's go back to childhood, <laughs> back to wiffle ball in the front yard, and you. Um, so you sort of did a little bit of piano instruction. You were composing stuff. You were really enthralled with pop music, and then um, did did you did you play music in high school, or how did you or get into bands or anything like that? Yeah, I did. I wanted to actually play cello. Like we had. Um... Uh, we had uh, um, sort of like a symphony class and like early it was like fourth or fifth grade where you could join you know you could join the you know elementary school symphony for what it's worth Mm -hmm. whatever um, if you wanted to and I asked my parents and they said no we don't want a screeching violin in the house Mm. and I was I was very upset because I really wanted to play a stringed instrument I, I, I thought anything would be great like cello viola violin those were the three instruments i really wanted to play but they said no and they said why don't you hold out until um they they introduce band you know wind instruments and then you can do that and i was mad (laughs) i was so mad um but um in fifth grade i ended up um wanting to join band so we went to the introductory music um um you know they they tell you like uh, here are the different wind instruments and what would you like to play? And so mm-hmm. I wanted to play flute or I wanted to play French horn. Um, but apparently we had this test done and this kind of, <laughs> this kind of changed the whole tra- trajectory because in this test, I guess I scored the highest of like anybody in my school district. And they said, we need you for trombone because 
it's harder to play trombone because you need to have a good ear so you can right. get the slide to the right part right. and I didn't I didn't want to play but I was like oh but I felt flattered since you know they're like oh you've got a great score on your test yeah so I ended up playing trombone um all throughout all throughout elementary junior high high school and then college and I ended up getting a degree in uh, trombone performance at the University of Colorado That's but amazing. I but it wasn't my first choice of an instrument and I just kind of like landed at it I liked people that also play trombone there seems to be a certain characteristic of people that play different instruments so yeah. like what what is the commonality <laughs> what's the common thread that you find about trombone players trombone players okay okay so we're in the last section of the band so we're always making jokes we're like total jokesters um it looks snarky you know just like <laughs> throwing spitballs at other people in the band and like the director doesn't even notice so it's like kind of like the class clown okay. section um and it's kind of a subsection of of brass instruments brass. trumpet right. players are also kind of you know they're they're funny they're the comedians um so i feel like and the tubas kind of don't know what's going on so i, I don't really count them and the sax players are the prima donnas and they're like kind of more in the front so you guys are kind of in the back well the okay so the the saxophones are kind of they're kind of brass passing because they're also they're also woodwind well yeah so they can like they're fluid that's right that's true they're 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 intimate fluid between the woodwinds yeah. and the brasses yeah but it and i imagine that because like the trombone is not for the faint of heart it's a large instrument like you take up a lot of space yes. so you've got to have like a like a a person like a big personality for that like i imagine that you would with the tuba but you said that tuba players seem to be confused <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is that my mom always said like i don't want a screeching violin in the house and so instead he had this great big bombastic trombone sound in the house so i'm like all right well you know <laughs> you could have had a nice beautiful cello eventually but no we got to deal with the trombone that's always going to be super loud <laughs> because i would have thought that they would have been on board with the cello because of the lower tone it's mellow yeah. soothing yes so even if it's the wrong note it's like mm, you know they were, maybe they were afraid i wouldn't be i was going to be able to like transport it uh because i was concerned small, <laughs> small scrawny child i guess yeah. i don't know Shallow <laughs> is like almost like transporting a, an upright bass. It's yeah. Unwieldy. I'm I may not have been able to do that, but I think they do like three quarters scale cellos for kids. Maybe I I could have handled it. Man. Or like the viol da gamba, <laughs> you know the viol da gamba. Oh yeah. Is that like in between? It's like an archaic instrument that that they don't really have anymore. That's in between <laughs> the cello and the viola. And that's it right has a, it has a peg it has a a spike and you play it as you do a cello but it's slightly smaller so maybe that would be a thing yeah yo i'm playing the viola da gamba over here like some archaic instrument that nobody even <laughs> like what is even the clef for that i don't even know <laughs> but instead you got the trombone and then yeah. so, wow and you went to university of colorado boulder right mm -hmm. yep for the music thing trombone performance trombone and performance. then when you when you got out of college, what did you <laughs> think you were gonna do? Well, I was one of those idiots that didn't like. I never visited my um, um, the dean of the school. Like, I, 
I didn't realize that you were supposed to be like having like counseling and like life career, like planning. So I was just like floating through <laughs> my college degree. So kids, if you're in college right now, maybe make a, a make an appointment to like talk to your Dean and like figure out a life choice because like, I didn't, I didn't really know, like, I didn't ever really see myself as being in a symphony. Like, you know, like, I, I don't know what I was doing. I just wanted to learn music any way I could. So like, I took all kinds of music classes. And the good thing about taking a performance degree is that you get to do minors. Like I took a, a minor in voice, which has helped me. Um, I took a lot of like keyboard lessons, you know, while I was there, um, electronic music courses, um, theory, um, oral skills, all, all these things that support it. But like the main, the main entree of what I was studying is like not something I ever really even saw myself doing. Yeah. So, but I, I don't feel like it was a waste of money. I feel like it was actually really good education for me. So I was really happy. I, cause I didn't really know anything about music theory or anything like that before I got to college. So you got really a, a well-rounded education despite not having a guidance counselor. That's right. <laughs> you like kind of intuitively found your way through. And then, and then interestingly, of course, because you were a singer mm -hmm. also, like I think of you and your beautiful warm voice. And, and so I think, so I, I was going to ask you about that, about your voice training, if that's where it started in college. It started in college, um, but it was just, I think I took it way more seriously than my teachers ever wanted me to, because I had teachers telling me like, um, you know, you have to be really, really good to be a singer. And so, you know, you, you, this is good to have as a minor, but you know, you, you have, like, they were just telling me like, you, you just have to know you have, you have to be really good. Right. Competition <laughs> so, is and like, yeah. yeah. And so I'm glad they told me that, but it just made me want to work even harder. And I was not a great singer. Um, and I still am not a great singer, but I, I feel like I try really, really hard because it's something I feel really passionate about. And plus it's a way to like, um, you know, get it. I, I mean, I like the whole package of like songwriting, producing and being a singer, all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's just one part of, of doing everything that I like to do. So I don't, it's not my intent on ever being like the most technically proficient singer. <laughs> But the thing is, is that people become known for the quality, their special quality of voice and, and the people like I think of um, even somebody like Billie Holiday, who has a mm. legendary voice and she wasn't classically trained and she was very yeah. weak in, in her stylization and her and the quality of her voice. And she is a legend, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you think about your favorite singers, you're like, wait, they don't really have like the best voice, but they yeah. have a personality or quality that you like and mm -hmm. attaching that to like maybe if they are a songwriter like somebody like bob dylan he does not have a good voice <laughs> but oh. and i'm not comparing myself as a songwriter That's to right. bob dylan songwriter <laughs> but you know like there's something about like having that quality of voice um delivering mm -hmm. his his message um as a songwriter and it just works for him i think of um also another person uh tom petty is an example of that somebody yeah. doesn't have like the best voice in the world but he's his voice is perfect for tom for petty. him yeah and also for the things because he also did a lot of covers and stuff as well like for rock and roll like it it, it worked and yes. um so i always i always loved the distinctive voices not necessarily the most because you can be the most 
you know, technically brilliant person, but does it really make you interesting or accessible? Maybe, mm, maybe not, yeah. it depends, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we get somebody like Joni Mitchell, somebody with a very distinctive, really, really unique, really beautiful voice. Um, and then somebody like Amy Winehouse, mm-hmm. you know, really, um, and then you get the, the jazz greats, you get Ella, you get Sarah Vaughn. I, I, I love Sarah Vaughn because her voice yeah. is like a brass instrument. Yeah, it's, absolutely. And yeah. so, wow. So you literally found your voice through trombone. And I even, I even wrote a, a sonata for trombone and piano. And that's how I got into ASCAP publishing. Like that was my way in because you have to have a published piece um, to join as a member. So I found a, a company, um, that would actually publish my piece. And so that's how I became a songwriter through ASCAP, woo! (laughs) Wow, via trombone. So the trombone was working for you. It was working for me, but you know, and I feel like I was never a great trombone player either, but I worked really hard at it. um, And I I just feel like it didn't really come that naturally to me. Like (laughs) I I fell into it or a trombone fell into me, I guess, I don't know. You got hit by a trombone. hmm, Got hit by a flying trombone. That hurt, man. But, but the other thing that's really interesting is that is how these things happen in life, whereby it isn't necessarily your first choice. It's kind of the thing that happens, like with you and the trombone, and how you had actually been aiming at other instruments, but this was the thing that was available. It just so happens. But then this thing. I mean, that's why I really think that there's there's always there's always a way that you're going to end up doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing regardless yeah. of the of the trajectory like somehow you're gonna find your way isn't that funny <laughs> it's really interesting and then like how so then how long after uh how long after college was it that you found your way to los angeles um okay so i graduated a little late um i graduated in 97 because i took sort of a gap year i went to london and just lived there for a while and be- became a bohemian no um, but, um, I graduated in 97 and I came out to LA in 2001, still not quite n- knowing what I was going to do because I was like, oh, maybe I could like hang my, some paintings on a, like in a coffee shop or something. Right. Um, that's the other thing you do. Another <laughs> thing is that you are an artist, you're a studio artist as well. Yes. So yeah. You were doing that at that time too. You were, uh-huh. your paintings and stuff. Yeah, I had, you know, a couple little showings in Boulder, just real tiny, you know, like, oh, you know, nice polite gatherings. And I had my paintings hanging in an Italian restaurant there um, for a couple months. Um, uh, but yeah, so I thought, okay, well, maybe I could try that. And so I still didn't quite know what I was going to do when I got out to LA. And that's when I joined the Duran Duran tribute band, because I was like, I, I know I can do that. I, that's easy. I can be Nick Rhodes. I, I can be Nick Rhodes. Awesome place. That's the easiest words. thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So then I started just hitting the open mic scene in about 2001. And at that time, that's when I knew Ben. And this is where Ben really figures hard into the picture because he had a car. <laughs> this is funny. He had a car. <clears throat> so we had to carpool together to the Duran Duran rehearsals. And we became really good friends. Um, so I didn't have a car. He had a car. He was taking me all over LA, uh, for these rehearsals. 
then we start going everywhere for open mics so that I could perform my original songs. And he said that he would help me. He wanted to play bass and he would uh, take me in a car to open mics all over town. So, you know, the LA Weekly uh, open mic schedule, it was like, we, we knew it. We knew the pattern. We knew which, you know, Highland Grounds on Friday, um, you know, uh, Ur the Unurban Cafe on Saturday nights. Um, every single uh, night had a, had a, um, a different coffee house uh, that had an open mic. So we knew the schedule. Um, but he took me everywhere and he was, he's been so supportive and even like my really crazy, uh, cheesy early songs. I mean, I still write cheesy songs now, but I had a lot of cheesy songs back in 2001 and he was there for all of it. And, and he's, he's funny. Cause he'll tell you, he knows that they're cheesy. Like he, he's so truthful and like brutally honest, but like in such a supportive way so he's he's so great <laughs> well and he's also another midwesterner he's a he's a wisconsinite so mm -hmm. you know, he's, a, he's he's like there's i think that there is a decency about midwesterners that's kind of innate i don't know if you would agree with this or not but i find that about people born in the midwest oh yeah i there's think so too an openness there's kind of like a friendliness and accessibility <clears throat> that you don't have with the east coast yeah. but also an honesty you yes, know? like yes. the honesty is is big too, mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm not, I'm not talking about like the Midwestern nice where like I don't think that's really a thing because people talk about Midwestern nice where or it's like Minnesota nice you say, oh yeah yeah but like I I've heard that Midwestern nice is when you say something to somebody um, to be nice but then behind their back you talk but. I don't think you really get that with mid the Midwest. Like they'll say whatever they're thinking to your face. <laughs> I think it's the opposite. I think Midwestern nice is sincere. I think California nice is the is, is the, the something and that really means something else. Yeah. Midwestern people seem to be, in my experience, I'm from the Midwest originally. Like Where are you they, from? and I was born outside of Detroit and then lived in Minnesota oh. for five years, but then moved to Arizona. So Okay. Like was barely in the Midwest, but my brother who's nine years older is very much a Midwesterner. He's mm -hmm. got like the kind of nasally thing happening. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh geez, he'll oh, say geez. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but but there is kind of a there's something a, a quality about Midwesterners. But um, mm -hmm. but then so I love the the story about you and Ben because you got to know each other. He knows your music. He wants to be involved with your music, and then like you started as friends before you got involved with each other. So, and and now of course you're married, been married for many many years now. Yeah. And, um, but it was a love story that was born out of the necessity of transportation <laughs> and going to open mic night. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Never and really then, thought. And then you were in. Uh, oh, and I do want to um, to to jump back a little bit to your your you're in London. What what were you doing when you were in London? I was an usher for the West End. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, so you were in the theater. You were in the theater district, being an usher, seeing shows. Yes. And just yeah. soaking in all this fantastic. Soaking it in. Yeah, this is like ninety five. So this is in the middle of like. Um, the the blur versus oasis uh, debate that ra was raging across the world. Uh, I was there for it. Um, wow. Yeah, I was I was an usher for the production of uh, Greece, the musical, huh? um, and and it was fantastic. It was uh, uh, so fun to be, um, you know, just uh, seeing uh, like, you know, I did get to know the actors a little bit because like we we would all go to the stage door and then we we'd all exit. All the ushers, all the crew 
and the cast, like we'd all um, exit out and then we'd all end up the pub next door because in England, everybody, after they work, they go to the pub. And yeah. so even if we were, it was like even 11 o'clock at night, we were at the pub. And um, which is funny for me now because I'm very much a morning person. So I'm like, oh my God, it was 11 o'clock at night. Like I almost have a panic attack saying that, but you know. <laughs> well, it's interesting because really the London West End, that's the home, the home of vaudeville. That's where it came from. And so there you were like dunked into the origination point of that full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then I also ushered for Starlight Express. Mm -hmm. So everyone's on roller skates. Yeah. <laughs> like we had to like um, push down like the safety doors for the for the cast to like roll by. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Wow. So you ushered and then you just kind of soaked in everything that London soaked in the culture. Yeah, I went to I went to raves. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I went running in uh, Kensington Park every day. You know, just <laughs> it's beautiful. I London is one of my very I haven't been there since 94, but I've been there three times in my life. And it is one of the places that I feel so much at home in and yeah. so, resonates so much. And there's so much history and so many references to popular culture that you run across just when you're walking down the street. Mm -hmm. There's always yep. something. There's like a blue <laughs> plaque that, oh, Oscar Wilde lived here back in whatever. Or, yep. you know, it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's the Beatles, it's Abbey Road, you know, or it's whatever yeah. it is, Covent Garden, the Actors Church there, you know, just like all these amazing things. And, um, and it's so steeped in, um, in, 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 in culture. I mean, so much of what, what has made us has come out of that, especially yeah. those of us who are fans of the British invasion. Yep. You know, so yeah. Music, you know, like, oh, all the <laughs> Beatles and the Stones and, you know, everything. Of course, of course, the Stones were London boys and, and the Beatles were, were Liverpoolians, mm -hmm. but yep. still, you know, like the Brit, the whole Brit scene and the Brit pop scene to come out later, you know, that which Duran Duran was a part of, mm -hmm. along with like yeah. Flock of Seagulls and and like all the other Paul Young and, and uh, Kasha Gugu and yeah, the, the Human League, the that's, Human League, that's a big and, one. Um, oh, the English Beat, of course, English Beat. Yeah. And um, who, whom our friend Rick Torres played with for many, many years. Shout um, out. Yeah. Shout out to Rick. Um, just incredible music. And so and, and so then you um, were, because your music is influenced definitely by 80s pop music for mm -hmm. sure. And, yeah. um, and I understand that Rolling Stone magazine listed you as one of the top 25 on MySpace. In <laughs> MySpace. Right? Yes. Such a, yeah, that's such a dated thing, you know, oh, MySpace. <laughs> yeah, before yeah. Facebook. Before, before Facebook. Facebook. MySpace and was the thing. And after Friendster, you know, just that little blip right. of time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And social media was really different then. It, it was not so much a, like a, now it's kind of like a divisive, crazy, weird space to be in, but it yeah. used to just be like sharing music and pictures. Oh, yeah. I, I feel <laughs> like MySpace was <laughs> like, to go back to the old days, like that was such a pure space where it was all about music. Right. And it was all about showing, you know, like, like really showing this is what I like this is what this is what's new this is what um it was such a fun and it was like the first platform for artists to like go and have their own little social space for that right. so that it was, was a little bit like a like a 
sort of a virtual mixed tape in a certain yeah. way for those yeah. of us who made mixtapes back in the back in the day and this is a way of being able to share it with people and connect with people who are following the same kind of music and stuff yeah like i remember i was i was in a recording studio with my friend uh, colleen grace and matt pavelitis on the day where colleen i remember this when she introduced me to myspace <laughs> she said have you heard of myspace and i said no and she was like let me show you and it was like this like holy grail of like, wow, this is something really new and different and um, something that is going to be really impactful for artists. And it ended up being very impactful for artists for, for artists that whole year. I think like, you know, like Selena Gomez, you know, people mm -hmm. like that got there, like that was their big break, you know, and I, I don't even know how many people benefited from, from that platform, but it was a really big deal. And it's sad that like, I mean, I have I have not checked MySpace in ten years. I don't I don't I don't even know if it's a thing Still anymore. Around on some cloud somewhere. Yeah, I I don't even know what they do anymore. Like somebody took it over, and I, who knows? Yeah. But there was also um, uh, tell me about uh, what what when did your connection with Muzak happen? Because that was a big that was a big break. Yeah, um, I think that was just a lot of. Um, a lot of groundwork where I just, you know, did, I, I, I did a lot of research. Um, I was looking at my ASCAP statements and I saw like, oh, there's a category called background music service, Muzak, mm -hmm. uh, how, how do I, how would I start earning royalties from that? Um, because I will tell you when I, I used to work at JCPenney's in like the late nineties, <laughs> JCPenney now defunct also. Um, <laughs> But one of the things that kept me alive in that job basically was the fact that you could hear music coming from the system. And I used to love, like that was the only part of the job that I really, really, really truly liked was like at least being able to cling onto a little bit of hope that was like listening to the music. Yeah. Um, and I heard some really great things coming out. Like, I think we, we just had a really good playlist at our store or something because it was, it was fun to listen to anyway. <clears throat> but um, that's what I always thought like, oh, that is something I could do. I could get my music on playlist um, and have people at least have fun while they're grocery shopping. I don't know. Um, so I wanted to get my music played in um, retail stores. Um, so I did a lot of research. I found a contact who's definitely defunct. So nobody please uh, email me asking me for this person name because uh, music is not even a thing anymore really it's uh it turned into mood media <clears throat> and it's uh you definitely don't get paid very much you you did back about 10 years ago mm -hmm. and then um music went bankrupt so you don't really make any money anymore but um it's it was great for exposure i would have people texting me i just heard your song in uh home depot or like <laughs> um you know all these different places you know uh, restaurants all these things um, and it happens from time to time still, um, but it started in like 2009, I think, um, where I started getting a lot of texts. Like, I just heard your song. Or, um, or I was on hold with uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield and I heard your uh, your music on the hold. Did, did you want hold music too? Because that's- Oh God. Well, you know what though? I feel bad for anybody who has hold music because like, I just feel like it just distorts like it sounds so horrible. I'm like, oh, I hope yeah. nobody has heard my son on the phone because it would sound terrible. And then <laughs> about that time too, you were actually in Ho Chi Minh City at the Park Hyatt doing mm -hmm. a gig for like four months. 
doing in a yeah. doing some doing a lounge act kind of thing yes yeah um i performed a mix of uh, originals and covers and it was in the in the lounge at the at the hotel and it was an amazing time it was so cool i have never done anything like that um and i probably will never get the opportunity to do anything like that again <clears throat> um yeah performing uh six nights a week for four hours at a time um i got to build up my chops i met a lot of cool people i hung out with the hotel staff a lot i didn't really venture out to the city very much because I have kind of a bad sense of direction. So if I went too far, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm never going to get back because I don't really know Vietnamese very well and at, at all. <laughs> so I was like, I was kind of afraid. I, I was, I got there with my little Vietnamese language book and I was like, I am going to learn Vietnamese. It's going to be so great. No, because the hotel staff, they're all in training for um, like um, um, travel. So they all want to practice their English on you. Right. So no, nobody wants to, <laughs> nobody wants to speak Vietnamese. They all want to speak English. So I was, I never got to learn Vietnamese, which I'm really sad about, but maybe someday I will. There's always, you know, there's always the future for that. So, uh, did you, um, did you learn like really basic things like how to ask for a banh mi sandwich or no, like that? no, no, because, <laughs> because they would have looked at me like, why are you talking in Vietnamese? We all speak English. Right. And they all did. But then, you know what, speaking of the food though, it was incredible. It was like the best food I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> well, because, and, and, and Vietnamese food, because you've got, you've got the South Asian traditions already there, then you have the French influence. Yeah, from the French yeah. colonials, but they did bring their food with them. So there was this beautiful mix of European and South Asian that is unique in the world. So yeah. I have heard that Vietnam is one of the very best places to go to eat. Oh, it's so amazing. And, and then, you get fresh coconut water. Oh yeah. And it's there's nothing like it and dragon fruit, all these different mm. um uh, these tropical fruits that Korean. you you could yep i did not try that um i was afraid that i might not be able to like get back into the hotel with it because it's like <laughs> right because it smells like a dead body evidently yeah, like yeah. evidently it tastes delicious but it smells to high heaven <laughs> i will try it one day bucket list <laughs> but what was what was with your vietnamese uh, were they mostly vietnamese who were staying there or were they were they foreign <laughs> tourists who who were um well it was it was a mix it was probably like um well i would say like maybe 30 percent vietnamese mm -hmm. um just traveling from uh, um um from the like um hanoi or you know some other place in vietnamese or Viet in vietnam um or it could be like people international travel travelers um people that go between um saigon and um hong kong a lot mm -hmm. that's that seemed to be a, the most like the bulk of it and it was you know some american people um um but it was it was a mix of of everybody huh? <coughs> but how did you get how, how what like how did you get connected with that particular gig because that seems quite unusual um i think it was a friend of a it was like a friend of a friend um told me about this opportunity and i jumped on it and i was like i have to do this and ben was so good like he was just like you're gonna leave me for three months or four months, and I was like, I, I really want to do this. Like, I, I, I feel like I have to take this opportunity. Mm -hmm. 
so he was really so sweet about it. Um, so we did, you know, we did this arrangement where we would Skype every day. Well, not every day, but most days of the week. Um, so I, I was very much in contact with him almost every day. And then, <laughs> and when did, uh, when did, uh, when did you get married in, in this, these, these years? Was that before Nashville or after Nashville? Cause there's a Nashville chapter here. <laughs> it was, um, before Nashville it was in 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then Nashville, what, what brought you there to music city as they call it? Well, Okay, so Ben Ben got tired of LA. <laughs> I, can, I can understand that. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, he's like, what about Nashville? Like, well, what do you think about going there? And I was like, that sounds cool. <laughs> like, I mean, I um, I I loved California, and I even wrote a song about it called California. It's about leaving here to go to Nashville. I so I, I was very sad, um, but. I was, I, I was really into the idea of living in Nashville. Um, didn't know that we were only gonna be there for a year um, because we ended up coming back shortly after I got back from Vietnam, like mm-hmm. almost immediately. Um, we ended up coming back to LA because we both really missed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Nashville was really incredible. It was cool. I got to do a lot of writing sessions with, um, some real Nashville people and see how that that side of everything works and I loved it like I loved the appointment setting and um the thing that I I wasn't too keen on was like I don't always like to write in person I like writing by myself a lot Mm -hmm. and we talked before we started rolling about how we're introverts yes and I am I really enjoy my introverted writing sessions I do most of my writing by myself Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a cool extroverted a lesson for me to get together and write with other people in person. Wow. And that's, and, and Nashville is just a place of legends also, American music legends. And to be, did you ever get to go to the Ryman Auditorium? Yes. Yeah. We saw, who do we see? We saw the Decemberist there. I think we saw Ben Folds. Um, we saw a couple different com- concerts there. It's, oh, it's like, it's like church in there. Right. It's music church there for sure yeah yeah, yeah. and we went, yeah we went to oh wait i was thinking yeah at the ryman that yeah. and then we went to the Grendel opry and we saw steve martin and vince gill and mm. lots of people perform that 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 steve martin and that vince gill talk about skillful musicianship both of them with the banjo and the mandolin it's yes like, <gasps> yes transcendent amazing stuff <laughs> Wow, that's that's a gift. And then, okay, so you come back to LA, and then is this when you started Lovers and Poets together? When you came back to LA? No, um, I started Lovers and Poets in Nashville, and I had another partner, another music partner, um, because I answered something on Craigslist. He was looking for somebody that wanted to do electronic chill pop, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, "Ooh, here in Nashville, that's interesting because that doesn't really happen." <laughs> Yeah. And this guy, um, his name is Brian Talbot. His, uh, his, I think it was his dad or his, his dad was the pedal steel player for a musician named Hank Snow. Mm. Um, and, um, so he was like very steeped in like this traditional, um, Nashville, uh, music scene. Uh, but he wanted, Brian wanted to break out and do something a little different because this was really his love. Uh, it was just like chill pop music. So he and I kind of um, 
grew this band. And I was like, what do you think of the name Lovers and Poets? And he was like, I, I like that name. And so we released some songs um, and we had Ben play on bass for it too. So he was, Ben was already part of the project. Mm -hmm. um, Ryan and I had a falling out. It was over creative differences and it got kind of, it was just kind of sad the way it ended. And I feel a little bad. Um, I feel like I probably wasn't a great collaborator for him. <laughs> like, cause I feel like maybe I, I just, I, I don't know. I've, I, I feel like I was a little harsh with how I was saying like certain things. And it was, I don't know. I just, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe we weren't like totally seeing eye to eye on, on mm -hmm. the project, but it was a great thing to start out with. And I'm, gl I'm really glad that, that we started out that way with him and I really had fun making music for the most part with him and it got real hairy for the last like, couple sessions <laughs> but um but he let me have the name um so I kept it and then I asked Ben if he would be my full-time partner on the project oh great and then so now you're you're a duo yeah really several things and then um and then you're uh your solo have you always been doing you've always been doing solo stuff kind of like all through this time right but you have a you have a most recent solo release which i'm happy to say that we have a track from that that i will play at the end of the thing love in the dark but tell me a little bit about that about your solo projects um okay so just solo projects in general because i i just i i just create on the computer i have logic pro um, I'm, you know, mixing everything myself and, um, for the most part, just mastering it myself, <laughs> uh, to the best of my ability. So I, I just really always like to, to learn and, um, I try to get better at, at all, everything concerning music. So it's fun for me to release these projects. It's kind of just like a growth thing, you know? Um, and it's also an exercise in, in the gifts of introversion. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you can compose, collaborate with yourself, and then it's a learning experience because you're learning the production side, and you're and you're yeah. playing, and you're singing, and you're mixing, and you're doing all of that stuff. Yeah, but in a lot of it, Ben is definitely a big part. Like he plays bass in a lot. There's some that he doesn't. Um, that I'll just keep like an elect, you know, a synth bass on or whatever, mm -hmm. um, just because I feel like maybe it just calls for it. But um, but a lot of times, like even with lovers and poets, if Ben is not well, he's playing bass on most of it. There's a couple of times where we don't have live bass, but he'll always be um, there for like the, the the drum programming or like we'll, you know, work out beats together or something. That's not, that's not, oh, it's not. no. <laughs> <laughs> I was another random crickets. <laughs> it was really funny because we were talking before the thing. I'm like, if you hear crickets, it might be the delivery guy. So it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but then, so what's so so what's what's next for you? I mean, we're still, of course, in this sort of weird limbo land with the uh, COVID days still. Mm -hmm. But yeah. um, but what what do you uh, what do you uh, what what do you have any plans for your next projects, or are you embarking on something right now, or what's what's happening? Oh well, um, with lovers and poets, we do have um, a handful of songs in the works, and one we actually did. Uh, we have we have. Uh, special guest, which is Rick Torres on guitar. Yes, um, before mentioned Rick Torres. Yes. <laughs> love you, Rick. Yeah, and so that, like we got together in pre-COVID times to do the guitar track. Um, and I have yet to get back to the song, but we are gonna finish that song, Rick Torres. So if you're listening, we are going to do that song. Um, so we've got some Lovers and Poets songs. And then I also release a song a month 
of my own, like this just solo um, Shannon Hurley song on Patreon every month. Mm-hmm. And so that is fun because you get to keep, um, like you, you, you just get to keep up, you know, like, uh, you, you know, you're on a schedule, so you got to create something and it's just nice to be able to do that every month. Mm-hmm. I think it keeps you, it, it just, it keeps you disciplined <laughs> and it keeps like, it mm-hmm. keeps you honest, like it keep, or keeps you accountable, I guess is the word, Yeah. you know, in terms of like having a commitment to do this thing and then to, to put it out there because there are people who are waiting for it. Yep. There are patrons. I don't even have that many pa- patrons. I just, I just like <clears throat> being able to deliver that to them every month. Yeah. It's kind of like conversations from here, sort of. People are like, when's your next episode coming out? <laughs> okay. Like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> All right. I've got it coming for don't you. Don't you worry about it. It's happening. It's happening. Yeah. Well, this has been so much fun. <laughs> and, and I want to thank you so much for doing this and, and, um, it was great. I can't, and I can't wait to hear what the, the next stuff that you're working on. Thank you, Dana. I'm so happy to be here and I really enjoy your podcast. It's great. I'm learning a lot about your guests. So, and thank um, you. And also thank, uh, we'll do a shout out to your hubby, Ben Eisen, who has the all time top 10 podcast, which yep. is a lot of fun. And, um, I did, I did an episode recently about top 10 songs about coffee with him. So that was a lot of fun. That was a great one. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Dana. And that was the wonderful and amazing Shannon Hurley. Thank you so much, Shannon, for your time today. It was so lovely to talk to you, as always. And special treat for our listeners, as promised, Shannon's latest in the form of the track, Love in the Dark. It's a good one. I hope you enjoy. Until next time, take good care of yourselves. Take good care of each other. And I will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time.
Oh uh-huh. 